right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Nick Springer. Hey. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, as we always are on this edition of RCST. So... Uh, today, we're going to be recapping the KU-UMKC game, which, weird game, I think to say the least, last night. Uh, Henry Greenstein going to join us at 340. We've got our KU mailbag at 405, so any last-second questions, get them up at RCST1320. Please. DM, reply, tweet at us, whatever, or email us, RCST1320AM at, at gmail.com. And then... Uh, We'll, uh, I guess, beyond that, get you some Bill Self audio, some post-game audio. We'll talk a little KU women's basketball because that game's tonight here on KLWN at 6.30 with pregame starting at 6.15 after the show. Kansas 88, Kansas City 69 last night. 19-point um, win, so, like, it's easy to just be like, okay, they didn't cover the spread. It's still won by 19. Yeah. Things got a little, I don't know, it wasn't quite, like, dangerous, but it certainly was you start sitting up off your couch a little bit there in the last uh, couple minutes of the game when they get it down to 75-67. Like I said, just kind of a weird game, a game that you you dominated early and then it felt like you 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 couldn't get over that hump of being up like 12 to 15 points. Yeah. And then eventually they struck with that run and then eventually you looked I I mean if you would have played like that over the last 3 minutes for the whole game, you would have won by 100, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh so just very weird game that happened uh, I don't know, take it wherever you want to go. Yeah, I mean, uh, you hit the nail on the head. It was a game of runs, right? Kansas started the game with a big run, then UMKC kind of came back, and then uh, and then in the second half, again, more of the same, where you, you were kind of had them arm's length and the big run by by Kansas City again, and then you have the Hunter Dickinson flagrant shoving at the end of the game. <laughs> that was kind of wild. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting game, to say the least. Uh, KJ Adams, again, was fantastic. Kevin McCuller, again, fantastic. Hunter Dickinson did his thing. So, those those three guys, you feel pretty good about what you're getting from them, and then uh, Dewan Harris, offensively kind of up and down, but then you still have questions about the the roster beyond that. So I think big picture, nothing was really answered from this game, but in the short term, Kevin McCuller continues to look like he could be a first round draft pick. Hunter Dickinson continues to be a guy that you can just throw it to him and he can go score and he's going to get rebounds. And KJ Adams uh, has been playing some very very inspired basketball. Uh, recently, so that was really really cool to see. Uh, I, I did I did take notice of Bill Self after the game saying, "Oh, those guys look like some tired guys." Hmm. I wonder why they're tired, Bill. I wonder why they're tired. Oh, maybe because you're they're playing thirty six minutes a game against every other team. So <laughs> you know, I, the bench situation is is still not great. There's still a lot of questions there, but you know, these are this is another one of those games where. You got the win, nothing significant happened really, and uh, you can just file it away and, and, and move forward in the non-conference play. So, But, yeah, I do have 
serious, serious concerns about the uh, the depth situation here and the fact that the first week in December, Bill Self is making comments like that. That kind of rings some alarm bells for me. I, I have some some legit concerns about that issue because, you know, we talked about it a little bit last year and kind of blew it off and it ended up not really manifesting about this idea of, well, you know, if you're playing, you know, does that really matter throughout the season until you get to March that guys are tired from the season? I mean, I don't, I don't see how it doesn't now at this point. If if you're if you're being forced to play Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris, 30, 30, you know, thirty seven minutes a game, Hunter Dickinson has to play thirty four minutes a game. Katie Adams playing the same amount, like that has to add up. I, that, that has to add up. So I do have some very very serious concerns about that, and I think it was like I said, I think it was pretty alarming that Bill Self noted that publicly. Uh, so at the end of the day, you got the win comfortably. You can move forward, mm-hmm. keep going to non-conference play. Big game against Missouri. You still got Indiana on the schedule, but uh, yeah, I I'm a little concerned. Yeah, and it's it's like one of the because I, I said this last week when you played too close with Eastern Illinois. What did I say? Everybody gets one, right? Everybody gets one of those. And, and when this, you look at it, but this wasn't that. This bad. doesn't count that way, right? Because no, it's a it 19 doesn't. point win, and you're still pushed away at the end. But in the same vein of it being too close for comfort at the end and not getting to throw the walk-ons out there and having to play the starters to the end of the game because it was an eight-point game at the under four. Coming into this game tonight, Kansas City was like 60 spots better than what Eastern Illinois was coming in. So even though you didn't necessarily, you know, Pull away and dominate. Like it's still a, a much, much, much better oh, game is, overall sure. than what you had against Eastern. But I think if you just pause the the screenshot of oh, it's an eight point game with three and a half minutes to go, you start to be like, okay, it's it's not quite to the same ilk of the Eastern Illinois or the Southern Utah or the uh, I don't know Tarleton State, I guess. But like it's it's closer than you expect, and that becomes the big question for me. Why can't you blow out these worst teams right now? Now, now there are a couple exceptions to that, but like. You look at, what, the Fort Hayes State game, the Chaminade game, this game, and the uh, Eastern Illinois game, if you're just comparing it to, like, the spread, for instance, collectively, you were probably 150-point favorites, 140-point favorites between those four teams. You know what I mean? And you ended up winning them combined by... Let's I, don't see. I, I don't even remember what's going on. 80? Forte State. 80 maybe? Uh, Forte State was like 15 points, something okay. like that. Chaminade was like 25, I think. Yeah, so like they could see to 40, and then this one like 20, 60. So then, so like 70 points. So like you, you beat all these teams, you blew them out, but like you are kind of underperforming consistently against these teams. Sure. Is that cause for concern? Is that a sign that maybe they're not as good as we think? Because if you continue to play down to competition, does that mean you are closer to that competition? Or. Is it indicative of the lack of a bench? Because in a game like this, where you're going to play your bench more and you're going to give them more leeway, you're going to give them more of a leash, if you don't have a good bench and they're playing more, that's going to lead to you being in in maybe a little bit closer of a game. Versus in a big game, you're going to play the starters more and you're going to have those good players out there a little bit more. So is it indicative of that? Is it indicative of the tired part, which that goes back to the bench? If you had a bench you could trust more or a better bench, then maybe yeah. the guys wouldn't have to be playing as much. Is, is it just in a, a focus thing? Is it just like, I guess if if we were given the alternative, like this isn't doomsday. It's, I I don't I don't want this to come across negative. Kansas still won by nineteen last night. Kansas is still a really good team, but um, I guess if you had the alternative of would you rather beat all these good teams and then lose to Marquette, but like beat UConn, beat Kentucky, beat Tennessee, and play a lot closer to the lower teams? 
or would you rather beat the lower teams by 40 and lose all of those big games except for maybe one? You know, I would rather it be the way it is right now. Oh, absolutely. You know, because that's going to be more indicative of, of kind of what you are at the ceiling. Like, you've talked about all year long the, <laughs> is this going to be a Hunter Dickinson try game? Uh, you know? Yes. The, hunt, the old Hunter is, Dickinson try game. Is it possible that in these smaller games that level goes up and when you have your best player exerting that, can that funnel down oh, to the rest I think, of the team? I think it's pretty clear that Hunter Dickinson is the type of guy that he will elevate or the opposite of elevate, mm -hmm. sort of deflate, I guess, based on the level of opponent, based on the atmosphere, based on the meaning meaningness of the game, which is fantastic once you get to like the NCAA tournament because you would think that that means he's going to be playing at a very, very high level every game. But you're right. No, there are – it's with Hunter Dickinson, it is very clear when he is trying and when he is not trying. <laughs> Like, it's so a very, like, very clear distinction there. It, I, I I do want to throw this one thing out there, yeah. too. That, that all, all the stuff that you listed, the, the other thing that I want to throw in is, for teams like this, this is their one time. This is their one time in the spotlight. I mean, this is this is your one opportunity to play in a, in a major, major game for a lot of these teams. You know, I know, like, I know when you look at uh, Eastern Illinois, or who played, was it, uh, no, I mean, it mixed up. Eastern Illinois played, somebody played Texas, too, uh, I think. Or was it, I don't know. I don't when is this? I'm just saying, generally, that for these teams, the Shamanads, the, the right. Kansas Cities of the world, the Eastern Illinois of the world. I think Eastern Illinois one played chance. Illinois. Oh, Illinois. Is that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was But a lot of it the, for these teams, this is your this is your this one of your very, very few chances to play on a big stage, quote-unquote, in front of a significant crowd in Allen, in Allen Fieldhouse, you know, for the cases of the of Fort Hayes State and Kansas City, you know that stuff matters, right? That that stuff matters. Those those, those they're they're gonna those those teams are gonna come in and, and give it their best shots because mm -hmm. of the fact that this is their one opportunity to play on a big stage. So I think that factors in a little bit too. Yeah, it does. And, and so I I like I guess I'm not really that concerned in the sense of it was clear last night when the game started to matter. It was clear last night that when you did have your focus and attention on the, the task at hand, when it got down to an eight-point game, we saw Kansas ramp it up on both sides of the ball. I mean, the ball pressure they had that led to a couple steals, uh, the offense, the shot making they had after it was an eight-point game to finish on a 13-2 to run where, it, it, I, I don't know if this is, it felt like they went six for six. I don't know if they missed the shot during that span. Um yeah. It felt like that was indicative that yeah, if they if they were trying the whole way, that's what would have happened, which tells me that they weren't really giving it I don't, I don't know, that all kind of all the way. Now the 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 negative part of that is if you play with fire enough, you're going to get burned. And so you you have to be able to approach those moments, those games like you did the last three and a half minutes for the entirety of the game. You just have to. I mean, again, everybody gets one, but if it happens consistently over and over again, you are kind of playing with fire there. Now, on the other side of things, though, you're not going to play another team like that the rest of the season. I mean, unless yeah, you're playing like a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament, but even then, like that's, I don't know, yeah, it gets more of your attention because it's the NCAA tournament. Because think about that. Like, from here, it's it's what? It's Missouri, Indiana, Yale. Missouri, Indiana, Yale, Wichita, Wichita State, State. Like, those are all and then right around top 100 teams. And then conference play. And then conference play. So you're not going to play another team like this. So... I guess why worry about it? I don't know. Which, I, by the way, I didn't realize. I mean, the start of KU's conference play, UCF, TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Cincinnati, 
at Iowa State on. I mean, this is a this is the the first big conference game is at home against hey, Oklahoma. Houston. Look out, Oklahoma. Oklahoma man. randomly has been pretty good. They've been very good. Okay, Since I told Porter Mo- Porter Mosier that he looks like uh, that was pretty funny. Did we ever talk about that? I don't think we talked about that on air. <laughs> at Big Twelve Media Days, I told Por- Porter Mosier uh, in a tunnel that he looked like Scott Hansen, the uh, <laughs> NFL red zone guy. He yeah. loved it. Yeah, he's he, he, yeah. giant yes. company. He's like, oh, I love yes. that show. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, they're 18th now on Ken Palm. Oklahoma's a good team. But to your point, that is an easier start. Now, if you look at the finish to the schedule, they better start with a good record because that finish is uh, pretty gnarly. You're yeah. Gonna wanna... Well, okay. So everyone, when the, when the schedule first came out, everyone wanted to highlight the fact that you, the last three games of conference play were Baylor, were at Baylor, Kansas State at home, and at Houston. Mm-hmm. Guess what the two games, guess what the three games are before that? <laughs> yep. At Oklahoma, at home against Texas, and at home against BYU before the Baylor K State Houston. No, I mean honestly, if you just want to go to when they turn the calendar in February, yeah, versus Houston at K State <laughs> versus Baylor at Texas Tech at Oklahoma, and then the the other ones you were talking about. Yeah. So, and obviously, as we know, at Texas Tech, that's that's always mm, yeah, a tough environment. tough place to play, very tough place to play. Now, I I did think there were some good takeaways you can have from the game last night, Johnny Furphy. Um, now, most of it was done in that three and a half minute span. He had two layups and a three. Yep. So that's seven points right there in a quick span. But I mean, scoring 10 points in 14 minutes, that'll uh, grab your attention there. And I thought that like to the notion of, you know, you're, you're looking to continue to develop the five through nine. And we saw in the UConn game, it was a six man rotation with Furphy and Omarco being the five and six. I thought you just saw more reason for why that is the case in this game. Again, Furphy showed you that with the 10 points in 14 minutes. Um, El Marco, I thought, had a rough first half, but I thought El Marco was really good in the second half. He had a couple of nice assists in the yeah. second half. He had well, a couple of nice scores. He hit a three. He had that one confident-looking mid-range shot. Even in the first half, he made a couple hustle plays, and I think for a freshman, that's the stuff that really jumps out because, it, you know, as a young player, if you're missing shots or if you're, you know, having trouble offensively or unable to score, it's easy to kind of if you're a player that's uh, you know an explosive guy like Marco is, it'd be easy to just kind of check out of the game, right? Mm-hmm. And he did not do that at all. So even though the first half on the stat sheet was a bit rough for him, I think he's I think he still ended up making some some big hustle plays for Kansas, and those are the types of plays that a guy like Bill Self loves, right? Because right. it's it's oh, okay, maybe you weren't hitting shots, the shots weren't falling for you, but that didn't that didn't interrupt your ability to lock in and, and make some make some big hustle plays and play defense as well. Uh, by the way, I have updated lineup numbers. This comes from College Basketball Analytics. Uh, over the last, this is the last five games. Instead of doing it for the season to give us more of a a recent kind of outlook of things, the lineup with Dewan, Kevin, KJ, Hunter, and then the fifth being El Marco Jackson is in the ninety second percentile of the country in plus minus. The uh, lineup with Dewan, Kevin, KJ, Hunter, and then Furphy is in the 62nd percentile in plus-minus. The lineup with Dewan, Kevin, KJ, Hunter, and Jamari McDowell is in the 75th percentile. And then the one with Nick Timberlake does not qualify because it doesn't have enough games or possessions, but it is negative five in uh, plus-minus. I'm guessing negative five is bad. Yes, it is. Like, for instance, <laughs> the Jamari McDowell, for net, if we go by net rating, the, the one with Jamari McDowell is a plus 31.3. The Nick Timberlake one is a minus 45. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, in a way, like, it feels like I'm starting to get the sense that the top of the guys of that 5 through 9 are starting to play a little bit better, starting to string it together a little bit more. 
but the seven through nine, maybe not even seven through nine, maybe the eight through nine, because I feel like Parker Brown, like his spot just is what it is, you know? Feels like those spots with, with Timberlake and McDowell. I, I don't even you just need one of those two guys yeah. to be consistent, I think, for you. Like if one of those two guys can capture down 10 to 15 minutes consistently off the bench, I think you feel okay about the bench. Yeah. yeah. But right now it's not happening. So something about uh, last night's game that uh, you had mentioned before the game was the rebounding. You know, mm-hmm. KC, a pretty quality rebounding team. Kansas ended up being plus one, right? And you had said that if they were even, that would feel pretty good, and they ended up being uh, positive in that. And something that maybe we haven't talked about enough on this show uh, with what this Kansas team has done so far is they have been absolutely incredible in assists to field goals. I mean, once again, 23 assists on 33 made shots last night. That's actually below their average. Their average has been over 75%. Uh, it's just really, really impressive what they've done. They've, they, it's clear that they are a quality passing team. And kind of to that, an extension of that point that you just made about some of those guys start, some of those guys on the bench starting to figure it out. I think that trickles up to the to the top guys in the sense of we mentioned we had talked about it. It was a big talking point in the offseason of oh well you got Hunter Dickinson and here comes these transfers and how's it all going to blend together. They're the best passing team in the country right now, right right now, and they're probably only going to get better as they keep playing. So I just I just wanted to, to highlight that because I think it's it's very very impressive. I mean when you have a guy like DeJuan Harris, Kevin McCuller, and the facilitation that we've seen from this Kansas team, and then yeah, and Hunter Dickinson on top of that, very very impressive what they've been able to do, and that's where they've that's where they've had so much of their success offensively so far this season. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do want to make mention of of Kevin and, and KJ and and how well they played because uh, I think you can make a real argument here that both those players, if if Big Twelve awards are voted on right now, would deserve to be in the running for Big 12's most improved player. KJ won that award last year. I think you could argue KJ Adams could win it again right now. Like, I mean, I I haven't scoured the rest of the Big Twelve enough, and I'm not saying definitively like this is the case because I'm sure there's some other guys with good candidacy. And you look at like the the stats, like it's not that different. Ten and a half points to twelve and a half, four point three rebounds to four, one point nine assists to two point nine, point eight steals to one point four steals. Like the numbers are better this year, but they're not like drastically better. That typically somebody who wins this award is going to go from like averaging five points a game to like sixteen points a game. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Like when he won, he went from one point per game to, to 10.6 points per game. But to to change positions from the five to the four and still thrive and still be better than he was last year and looking like he is really starting to get in a groove now, like the way he's played the past couple of games yeah. has been uh, unbelievable here. He's shooting 71% from the floor right now. I mean, you you can make the argument that he is the most improved player there. You could also make the argument with Kevin McCuller, and Kevin was a great player last year too. But what Kevin is doing right now, he's gone from being a, I think he was third-team All-Big 12 last year with one of the best defenders in the conference and in the country to now being one of the best overall wings in the country. Like, he's an All-American I mean, candidate. Exactly. He's, I think he's I think he's first-team All-American right mm-hmm. now to, to this point in the season. I mean, the stats right? are pretty bonkers for, for Kevin. It's Yeah. It's uh, 19.2 points, 6.9 rebounds, 5.1 assists per game, 54% from the field, 39% from three. Yeah, remarkable. And and what's what's in, what's really, really blows my mind about that is we had talked about it before the season started and, and going into the season about for Kevin McCuller, if he could even improve his three-point percentage to like 33, 34%, you'd feel really, really good. If this dude is shooting 36, 38% from three over the course of the whole season – that is very, very, very impressive and and really remarkable. And it, and it, something like that could easily overcome the fact that maybe some of the other guys he brought in aren't 
producing as much from the three-point line, i.e. someone like Dick Timberlake, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if Kevin McCullough shooting 36% from three, and, and I, I kind of touched on this, this thought previously with the Nick Timberlake situation, is that you may get to a point where he is not necessarily needed as a three-point shooter. If McCullough shoots 38% or 36% from the rest of the season, if Dewan is shooting 40-plus percent on limited attempts, that's still really good. Hunter Dickinson continues to hit threes. If Johnny Furphy becomes uh, you know, a knockdown guy from the corner, which it seems like he can be, is there even a spot for Nick Timberlake to be that shooter? If I mean, do you even need that? I don't know. I mean, I would think probably. I mean, obviously you're not going to say no to more shooting, but it's, it's, it's an interesting question, I think. Yeah, it definitely is. But, uh, yeah, both players were excellent last night and continue to show that. So you, you would like to see, I guess, bottom line here, like them hammer some of these teams. But I guess this is the last one you play. You won by 19. You're winning the bigger games. So even though these are the games that do boost some of your metrics, like Kansas is now 11th on Ken Palm, which that's kind of weird. Um, I, that's less important than winning the big games. Nick and, Palm uh, says Kansas is a top five team. All right. On to the next. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Henry Greenstein will join us in about 15 minutes on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Half past three, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com coming up in less than 10 minutes from right now. We've also got our KU mailbag coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Hit us up with uh, any questions at RCST1320. They can be football-related, basketball-related. They can be about lacrosse. I don't know. We probably wouldn't be able to give you much advice, but just, you know, whatever. Food. Hey, dude, I was a I was a elite lacrosse player when I was in I don't believe school. you. And then I uh, suffered a knee injury. Couldn't play anymore. I don't believe you. One bit. <laughs> wow. Wow. KJ Adams was a stud lacrosse player, though. Yeah, I played against him. Oh, yeah? You went to high school in Texas now all of a sudden? <laughs> Um, so, yeah, hit us up with those. Also, uh, rcst1320am at gmail.com or at rcst1320 on X. Okay, uh, Rock Chuck Pickahawk happened last night. And, Nick, your first pick was Hunter Dickinson. He had uh, 19 Pickahawk points for you. Which oh, nice. Good, yeah. A pretty solid game. I mean, it yeah. wasn't one of his better games. He only played 29 minutes. So that probably actually helped you there. 14 points, 12 rebounds. He obviously had the technical foul, which you don't get dinged for. That's good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember last year we had that rule. Nobody got dinged What was for the it. rule? It was uh, you lose a point for every foul they commit, I think. Oh, I thought I thought we had a specific one for, like, if you get a technical, you. I remember if we had a, we had a foul out rule that you lose. Like, yeah, you lose, like, five points. points. He out. almost fouled out. He had four <laughs> of them in the game. Uh, you had Dewan Harris, though. He got you negative eight. Yeah. Which that was a more aggressive Dewan scoring game. It's, it's just, just tough because. He just plays so much, so many minutes. Yeah, he plays so many minutes, and it's, like, all points and assists. You're not getting a ton of the other stats there to kind of boost it up. Yeah. Um, then you had Johnny Furphy. You had nine. There we go. That's a big game for Furphy. He had two steals and a block. How about that? Mm. Yeah, very impressive. Game on the for defense. El Marco Jackson had negative also, ten. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't discuss mm-hmm. the Australian on kangaroo violence. Yeah, that's right. The, <laughs> the kangaroo <laughs> on kangaroo violence. <laughs> it was. I don't know. Do you think he he viewed the the 
Kansas City Roos, was it like this is a cultural appropriation? I'm going to. I don't know. I'm going to well, dominate thinking, you. Do you think kangaroos talk in Australian <laughs> accents? I don't think they talk at all, Nick. Well, but if they did, would they? Then yes, if they were from Australia. <laughs> um, well, that's where they're all from, right? Well, I mean, what about ones that like live in the zoo in you know San Diego or Omaha or something? Well, but if they came from Australia, wouldn't they still have the accent? Not necessarily. If you're born in a place, but you grow up your whole life in another place, you're going to have that place's accents. Hmm. Like, have you ever seen like family who's like they're from England and their their parents have British accents, but they both don't the kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, it's like that. Hmm. You know, you just. Grow up what you're around with. Uh, Michael uh, Jankovic didn't some, play uh, for you. Deeper investigation yeah. on, on that. He had zero. And then on my side, Kevin McCuller had 22. KJ Adams led all pickhawk scores with 23. Parker Brown had one. Jamari McDowell was minus three. Dylan Wilhite was zero. You gave me a lot of gruff yesterday for not picking Nick Timberlake. <laughs> he had negative seven. <laughs> so what do you say about that? I have to, all I have to say is that it's it's great that I didn't add him to my team because then you would be parading around like you'd won the Super Bowl or something. But instead, it was just a regular win for you. Right. So. Forty-three to ten, dominant regular win. I'm now okay. seven and four. Nick is now four and seven. Uh, five and four. No. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com is going to join us coming up on the other side to talk a little KU football. KU basketball. I think Henry was at the uh, KU soccer coaches introductory press conference today, so maybe we'll ask him about that as well. That coming up in about a handful of minutes right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN or KLWN.com with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Talk a little KU basketball, football, and uh, some KU soccer, too, at the end here. Uh, so let's start last night. KU takes down UMKC 88-69, to Henry. But it was another game that was maybe a little too close for comfort at one point. Eight-point game with the, the, around the four-minute mark or so. Uh, you look at this game, you look at the Eastern Illinois game. I know the Chaminade game, they won by 20-plus points, but that was a game that, that felt like it was kind of hanging a little bit closer than the experts were thinking. Why, why do you think it is that there's this trend lately for, for KU of playing opponents that be they're being projected to beat by 25, 30, even 40 points and having the games be much closer than that where they still do have to have the starters in it till the final whistle? Yeah, this is a really strange game. I mean, they start out ahead 31-11, to 11, and you're, right, you're thinking, oh, they've totally put Eastern Illinois behind them. And that was even with some bench players in the game, so it wasn't even an issue of having to go to the bench right away. But then they just regressed and regressed and regressed some more over the course of the game. And all in all, just like one of the, yeah, just one of the most inconsistent and streaky basketball games that I've seen in quite a while, especially those final four minutes where, you know, they come out, they're suddenly only ahead eight and then they go on like a 13 to two run to close the game and look totally transformed. I'm not sure I can totally identify why this is. I think one thing I'm starting to realize is that this team is just not anywhere near as potent when Kevin McCuller is off the court. Um, And in games where Hunter Dickinson is, is doing his usual thing, that might not be as much of a problem, but UMKC did a pretty good job hampering him yesterday. I mean, 14 points, 12 rebounds, still pretty good, but he was off on his shot a lot more than we've seen. I think that was his worst three-point performance as well. Um, So when McCuller, who can basically do everything at this point, is out of the game, uh, the ball gets stuck a lot more. 
there's a lot more freshmen missing shots out there, and I think that's what we saw for long stretches against Kansas City. Well, when you look at this, uh, I guess, last week of basketball since we last talked to you with them beating UConn, now kind of getting by UMKC here, uh, what to you has been the biggest positive to come around over these last few games? Biggest positive? I think there's a few. Um, I, I just mentioned McCuller and how exceptional he's been. I mean, the opening stretch yesterday, 12 points in six minutes, was really, really impressive. And I think he also had like five rebounds by that point, too. So that's one thing. And he was obviously very good with those clutch threes against UConn as well. Uh, K.J. Adams' performance comes to mind. He really did it all yesterday. And what was, what was nice to see yesterday from him is that during the period when he wasn't scoring, which was most of the first half, he was finding ways to contribute on the board and, and through his passing as well. Uh, Bill Self pointed out how good he was in transition yesterday. And these are things you, want, you wouldn't always see from K.J. Adams that we hadn't seen show up quite as much in the stat sheet earlier in the year. So that's good. And then... Uh, I guess since I'm talking about specific players, might as well say that Johnny Furphy's last few minutes yesterday were some of the best that any KU newcomer has had at any point thus far this season. So something to build off of. And, it, you know, Self has told us it really doesn't matter to him who starts. It matters who finishes. And the fact that El Marco was off the floor and Furphy was in there getting it done seems to bode well for his chances. Yeah, when you look at some of the storylines for this team, shooting was kind of a big deal early on. You think about the fact that Kevin McCullough is shooting the ball so well. Hunter Dickinson has been really good on on his attempts. DeWan in limited attempts. And now Johnny Furphy starting to emerge. It almost makes me wonder, Nick Timberlake was a big focus, but maybe is it possible that it gets to the point where Timberlake, it almost feels like he's maybe even not needed? Or kind of what, what would his role be, you think, at that point if some of these other guys keep shooting the ball well? Yeah, I did I did write something about that last week where I was like, if, if Furphy is going to be in this sort of shooter role, then that – goes a long way toward making Timberlake superfluous, at least until he can get into a groove and sort of show what the staff saw in him. But, yeah, I agree. Um, and and using using Furphy that way is interesting because, as he told the media the other day, that, that's not really what he's done thus far in his career. And I'm not convinced that's actually what he's best suited for. I mean, you watch his highlights, he's, he's dunking on people. Like, he's, he's an above-the-rim athletic kind of guy. He can shoot. And I guess he can shoot well enough that it makes him stand out on the KU team that doesn't really have quite that much shooting. But it's just been interesting to see that that's the way that he's gotten most involved so far when it seemed like that was, like, you know, not a small part, but at least a minority in terms of what his offensive production was expected to be during the year. Well, Kevin McCuller continues to impress last night. Uh, 25 points, new career high. His, his season averages are pretty incredible right now. Could you make the argument that Kevin McCuller, I, I know he was still a good player last year and was a starter and I think was all Big 12, 13. Could you argue that Kevin McCuller is the most improved player uh, in the Big 12 this season? In the Big 12, wow. Okay, see, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I've seen a large enough sample size and a large enough array of Big 12 performances to make that claim just yet. But And the other thing about Kevin is that he was at such a high level on defense already that the improvement would effectively be restricted to only one half of his game. So I think it's hard to make that case because he was already doing so well. I, we'll see, I guess, as we get a sense of what the other candidates for that sort of title would be as the year goes on. But I, I'm not sure I'm going with you on that one. Yeah, Bill Self, uh, after the game last night, it, it, he made a comment that I thought really stuck out to me about 
saying that some, it looked like there were some tired players out there. Is, is there any concern for you as the season goes on that having to play guys like Kevin, DeWan, Hunter Dickinson, 34, 36, 38 minutes a night, night in and night out, is there any concern about you long-term maybe looking forward to the postseason, looking forward to, to the NCAA tournament about having to play that many minutes over the season, maybe affecting these guys uh, down the road? That very much concerns me. Um, I, I think you don't want to be admitting proactively that you've got a tired team on uh, the first week of December. Um, now, I think that they'll have a somewhat more restful remainder of the month once they get back from Indiana because uh, they only have the Yale game after that and then Wichita State on the 30th before they start conference play. So I think there will be some time for them to recuperate. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think this is how it should be at all. And I think this isn't even quite as much about the fact that the bench isn't doing very well as the fact that there simply aren't that many players. Now, I know that Self runs a, runs a tight rotation regardless, but the point stands that, as he himself has said, you know, like Dewan Harris shouldn't be playing more than 37 minutes or whatever. And I believe Dewan Harris has played at least 35 minutes in every game going back to Chaminade. And in the Chaminade game, he played 34 minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> so that's, that is a lot of playing time for your point guard. And I can see why, because much like with McCuller, things get really disjointed when he's not out there. But yeah, I, I think that is definitely something that could present trouble down the road and even in the near term. Talking with Henry Greenstein of KUSports.com and the Lawrence Journal World here. Uh, KU's next game is Missouri, that one on Saturday. I don't know if you've gotten much chance to take a look at what the Tigers are bringing to town, but I guess early thoughts on, on that matchup uh, for KU. Yeah, this is certainly one in which the tiredness could be a factor. But I suspect they'll be re-energized. I suspect they will feed off the crowd, much like they did against UConn. You know, Missouri has been improved over the years, uh, more broadly speaking. But I'm not sure that this year's Missouri team, especially one that lost to Jackson State, has the ability to come into Allen Fieldhouse and pull off that much of an upset. Um, I'll just be keeping an eye out to see if they can get a fast start like they did in the last two games, but actually sustain it, which they did not in the last two games. Over to some KU football talk here. Uh, since we last talked to you, Andy Kotelnicki is no longer the offensive coordinator for KU football. How much does that move affect uh, the football team, I guess, moving forward? And I guess more in the near term, how do you think that affects the bowl game? Well, I'll start with the bowl game. I, I think it seems pretty clear that Jim Zabrowski will be the one calling plays, but I find the title of co-offensive coordinator confusing. Uh, and especially the fact they chose to announce that right as Andy left. Um, you know, on defense, Jordan Peterson is the co-defensive coordinator, but Brian Borland's title is still straight-up defensive coordinator. That's not really what co means. So the implication from that would be that in addition to hiring Zabrowski, instead of having Zabrowski promoted a co-offensive coordinator, they would bring in someone they'd hire as just a straight-up offensive coordinator, which leads me to believe that next season it's more likely than not that it will not be Zabrowski calling plays and could even maybe be an external person. I'm not sure that that's how things are going to go, but I do think it would be a weird look if they promoted Zabrowski to co-offensive coordinator and then promoted him to regular offensive coordinator like immediately afterwards. But that's just me speculating based on some title stuff. Um, 
I think I I think the common sense move for KU would be just to go with Zabrowski in the long term, especially with how much Lance Leifold values continuity, and then just like hire a tight ends coach. But I'm not sure that's the direction things are trending. But I'll be interested to see exactly how that develops as the weeks go on. We haven't gotten to talk to Lance Leifold about it because he did not want to answer questions about that sort of thing during the bowl press conference. Well, uh, Jalen Daniels certainly I think will be another interesting, I don't know, conversation starter with Lance next time we we do get to talk to him. Um, I kind of feel like Jason Bean will be the starter based on how the season went and, you know, giving him the nod as, as a senior and everything. But whether you think Jason Bean starts or not, do you, do you think we see Jalen Daniels play in the bowl game? I don't understand. I think I heard you guys talk about the other day, and I don't understand why they would play Jalen Daniels and not start him. Like, if you have someone who's been dealing with a back injury that can so easily be re-aggravated, I think it just makes sense to give him as much rest as possible, especially if you're already going to have Jason Bean start the game, which is what at this point I expect to happen because it's his last game ever. He's the one who guided him through the season and he earned the respect of his teammates and all that. Um, it doesn't seem logical to me. Now, do I see a scenario where they could throw out one of those two quarterback sets or whatever? Yes. But then that prompts the question of why isn't Jalen Daniels just playing quarterback if he can do So I think the most likely scenario is that Jason Bean starts and Jalen Daniels does not play at all. Well, I guess my thought was that you, you give Jason Bean the start and let him get the majority of the reps as kind of an ode to, hey, this is your final game at Kansas and acknowledging everything that he's done for the program. Um, to the point about resting his back, though, I mean, this is going to be your final game in nine months. So uh, why not let it fly? Why not show the fan base, even if it's for you know three drives, even if it's for a quarter of the game, if he is obviously available to go in the game, I, I say why not, and uh, certainly I think that would make, I don't know, the, the fan base, I think it would make national media, I think, more enticed with just seeing Jalen Daniels back out there to kind of leapfrog and, and give them a bit of a trampoline boost into the uh, offseason. I see what you're saying, and I think that would be cool, but if there's one thing that we've learned from this season is that the coaching staff really does not like think about con- the confidence of the fan base or the confidence <laughs> of the national media in the way that they address this quarterback mm-hmm. situation specifically. Now, granted, if they were totally immune to that sort of influence, they probably wouldn't even have put out the video with Jalen saying he's coming back. But I think generally speaking, their policy has been more to just sort of uh, do strictly what they need to do uh, in that domain. Uh, and again, like, if, if you want to show what Daniels is capable of, then he should be playing the whole time. I, I don't know. But I, I see what you're saying. I think it's valid. I just, if I had to bet, I would not say that's what's going to happen. And uh, UNLV is going to be KU's opponent in that game. Any initial thoughts on uh, the opposition here for KU and, and what that all means for the Guaranteed Rate Bowl? Yeah, I think one thing to keep an eye on is whether they lose their offensive coordinator as well. Obviously, Brendan Marion has been a big name in a lot of coaching searches. I believe he was reported to interview for the head job at UTEP. He's also been talked about for some Power 5 coaching vacancies. And, oh, sorry, for Power 5 offensive coordinator vacancies, I mean. Um, and for good reason, because he's sort of created this 
revolutionary go-go offense thing with some spread and triple option principles. They like load up running backs on one side in an interesting way. Uh, I'm sure people will hear a lot of comparisons to KU's own offense. That'll be a storyline entering this game. But yeah, certainly a challenge for Brian Borwin and Jordan Peterson to contend with. Um, UNLV's quarterback is apparently not in the transfer portal, despite what was originally reported. So they should have that freshman uh, Mayava playing for them. And looking forward to learning more about them. They got a great receiver. Um, they got a, a linebacker, their leading tackle on defense, who played for Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl against KU last year because that was he was with Barry Odom there at Arkansas. So some interesting storylines, and uh, keep an eye out because we will have a special section previewing the bowl game this year in the journal world. Okay, well, looking forward to that. Uh, we get some women's basketball tonight. You can actually listen to that game here on KLWN 630-615 pregame. Um a three and four start to the season for the KU women's side. I, I, I know you've had some uh, of your different reporters been covering that so far, but from I don't know, just just kind of seeing it from the outside or editing the stories, whatever. Like, uh, does it does it feel like this is a big disappointment to this start of the season for the KU women's team? Where where do you think the state of the program is right now? There, I I definitely feel like you would have hoped for them to get at least one win, if not both, against uh, Penn State and Texas A and M, and there were both games that were within their grasp. And I think one of the big recurring storylines has been foul trouble, especially for Tiana Jackson. And she's so critical to that team. And the depth behind her at that position is not such that KU can, no offense to those players, but it's not such that KU can afford to have her off the floor and the shot blocking and even in the offense that he provides at the other end. And that's a huge problem. And then in the last game, Samaya Nichols, who has been pretty good so far, was also in foul trouble. Uh, at A&M and just I don't know exactly what caused that difference that wasn't giving them as much trouble last year but I'm not sure we're going to see anything against a team like Houston Christian that will necessarily assuage the worries that this team has created and indeed like there are a couple more non-conference games that aren't really against the strongest of opponents either so I think we really won't have a firm idea of where the women's basketball team is at until they really get into the thick of their Big 12 schedule. You were at the uh, press conference today for the hiring of Nate Lee, the new head soccer coach for the KU women's soccer team. Comes over from Xavier where he had all sorts of success. What are your initial thoughts on KU's hiring for uh, the women's soccer team? Yeah, he seems obviously extremely accomplished, seems very focused, quite determined, and the main thing it stood out to uh, to me about him is that he's not complacent. He said pretty openly during the press conference the reason why he left Xavier was because, you know, he didn't want to look in the mirror and, and feel like he was uh, stagnating. He said he hadn't quite gotten to that point, but he felt like he could be almost there to a place where he felt like there wasn't too much more he could accomplish there. And he sees KU as having a really sort of high ceiling program, both in terms of its history uh, and the potential recruiting areas around here. And I think that's a vision that will help people pretty well, especially hearing Travis Goff also say that with his various hires, between Leipold and Fitzgerald and Cool, he's been trying to bring in people who can challenge the athletic department in a variety of ways to prevent the department from getting complacent in any way or another. So I think that seems like a good match for Goff's hiring philosophy, uh, and we'll see what he can do. Uh, it's also interesting that they brought him in so early in the calendar. You know, when he came into Xavier, 
I asked him about this. He basically said the first time he met the team in Xavier was day one of preseason in 2017. So he didn't get with them until August. So he has a whole spring to shape this KU team. And I think that'll give him a chance to put his stamp on it. So it really won't be like a rookie, uh, a first-time KU coach when we see them out there in August. All right, what do you guys have going on at KUSports.com? Yeah, I mentioned that bowl special section. That'll be uh, releasing on Christmas Eve. So keep an eye out for that. Doing a lot of work for that right now. Otherwise, just all the usual coverage, great contributions from a variety of people, and I'm really happy with how we've been doing recently. So check it all out. All right. He's Henry Greenstein, KUSports.com, Lawrence Journal World. Henry, appreciate the time as always. My pleasure. All right. One hour down, two to go. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. KU Mailbag coming up next. Four o'clock hour on Rock Truck Sports Talk with KLWN. Plenty more KU basketball talk coming throughout the show. We got your KU women's basketball game tonight at 6.30 with pregame starting at 6.15. We'll talk a little bit about that more in the 4 o'clock hour. And we've got some KU audio from Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams that we'll get to, and uh, Bill Self coming up in our next segment here. But right now, it is time for Nick's second favorite segment of the week, KU Mailbag. Wait, what's first? I don't know. You always, you're always toting it around that this is your second favorite segment. No, it's my first favorite. Dude, it's my number one. Okay. Come on. Just making sure. Just like I'm number one believer in Nick Timberlake. It's my number one favorite segment. Mm. I don't think you I don't think that's you either. <laughs> uh very much so. Okay, uh first just like up, I played lacrosse in high school. Yeah. You know? Now you're just I don't know that we can believe anything that comes out of your mouth. First up is from Jayhawk for Life. Stupid scenario, you you're gonna love this one. You only get one of the following. Bill Self goes to KU or the Chiefs draft Patrick Mahomes. This is a stupid scenario, and I'm glad that I don't have to live through this. So, I think I would probably go with Bill Self because I feel pretty confident. So, let's let's rewind to Prima Holmes. Okay. The Chiefs still had Andy Reid. Okay. I feel pretty confident that Andy Reid, with one of these young quarterbacks that we've seen that ha- that is that has been prospering over the course of the last you know half dozen years in the NFL would have success with Andy Reid. I'm not saying they'd have the same success, obviously, but I think I think the Chiefs would still be in a position where they'd be having some amount of success. And uh, and listen, they were already having success before Mahomes got there. I mean, they'd already been winning AFC West Division titles. They'd, yeah, already they'd not been. even been to an AFC championship. No I, no, I get that. I get that. But I still, I think you have to go with Bill Self here. I think, I think, I think you have to go with Bill Self to me. Okay, so I know we are rock chalk sports talk. I feel like is this a bait question? The proper play here is to say Bill Self. I'm sorry, I have to pick Patrick Mahomes here. Really? I mean, okay, here's the deal. I don't know what the what the coaching landscape was of college basketball in 2004 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know what other coaches K would have hired otherwise. Otherwise, besides Bill Self. Yeah, I I don't know what that other answer would have been. But I here here's why. Would they have as much success right now with somebody else other than Bill Self? Probably not, because Bill Self is the best coach in college basketball. He's been unbelievable. But it's still Kansas basketball to where, like, it's one of those things where I just expect it to be okay, regardless. Sure. You know, so, like, so like maybe if you hire some different coach instead of Bill Self, again, who knows who it is, maybe you, instead of winning two national titles, you've won one. Maybe instead of making, what is it, three final, four final fours, you make two or three. You know, 
I still think there is that ability for Kansas. In the same ilk of that. But see, I still think there's that ability with Andy Reid, with the Chiefs, too. I I think less so, because whenever Bill Self retires, whoever comes in next, there's still going to be expectations to be like, Make Final Fours, win national titles, right? That's just the program expectation. Yeah. And that uh, that's part of the thing with, like, college athletics. You can kind of control what you are because you recruit your players. In the NFL, you cannot really control what you are to a certain sense. Like, yeah, you can trade up, and, yeah, you can go harder for certain guys in uh, the free agency and trades. But, like, you are a little bit beholden to... The guy's in front of you. Who's picking in front of you? Does this guy get signed by somebody else? Does somebody else have more salary cap? Whatever. And yes, you are right that Andy Reid was having success with Alex Smith. And and maybe maybe if those same types of Alex Smith teams that the Chiefs had with Andy Reid were around in an era now where there's no Tom Brady or, or Peyton Manning, maybe they do get it done. But it's not like they're still like there's still Joe Burrow. There's still Josh Allen. There's still a lot of these guys. Um. It's hard for me to think that they would have a Super Bowl right now. Like, again, I, I expect them to be a playoff team a lot of years and, and still have a lot of success. But I, I think the drop-off there is that you don't have any Super Bowls without Patrick Mahomes. And he's the best quarterback in the NFL. It's it's hard to replace that. So I think the replacement level value there, I'm, I'm going with Patrick Mahomes on this one. Mm. Wow. Uh, this I was just oh, sorry, real quick. Yeah. While, you were, while you were saying all that, I was just looking through at the NFL drafts and trying to be like, basically, if you if you took away Mahomes and gave okay, here's a different scenario, Andy Reid like Deshaun Watson, who was drafted in the same I know, draft, isn't or that, like somebody else, isn't that a disaster if they get Deshaun Watson? Well, obviously with the off the field yes. stuff, but like talent wise, no, but the off the field stuff happens regardless well, of where I, he is. No, I, I I get that, but like or you know fill in the blank with some other I don't know. Because Somebody think else. about that. If they get Deshaun Watson, then it's even tenfold worse because of the off-the-field stuff. You know, so it's like, I I, I definitely go Mahomes there. Now, okay, um, that's fine. That's fine. The, the that's one fine. argument you can have for me of picking Bill Self is that if it's not Mahomes, does that mean Alex Smith stays with the Chiefs? He avoids his awful leg injury in yeah. Washington, and you're yeah. saving somebody's uh, football career a little bit longer. I don't know. Yeah. Is Tyreek Hill still on the Chiefs? Probably. Love they Alex probably Smith. have more money to go Love around to some of the... Other players. Yeah, dude, Tyreek Hill. Chris Jones is maybe even, uh, extended even, by now. Don't get me started on that guy. Okay, this one from Aaron. You are forced to go to three basketball games. Which games are you most miserable at as a KU fan? <laughs> um, he said, feel free to change with the matchups if it makes it more intriguing, but uh, these are the ones that he went with. This is what I want to go with. And um, I was talking with Aaron. He, he, we have the caveat. You have to be wearing KU gear. Oh, so this isn't just you're just okay, blending well, into on. the crowd. If you have to wear in KU gear, it's like automatically it's like the top three is in any K-State game, basically. All right, well, here's the games. Duke at Missouri, Kentucky at Iowa State, Villanova at Kansas State. Have to be wearing KU gear. Villanova, Kansas State, easy number. If you have to be wearing KU gear, it's Kansas State. Any 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 Kansas is State is the worst game. one to be at. Kansas State, North Alabama, fill in the blank. I it think doesn't there's matter. a chance. That, I, I mean... In basketball, I think you're like okay. I will say, if Kansas State and Missouri played each other, that would be the worst. And you had to wear KU gear. <laughs> That'd be bad. That would be the worst one for sure. Yeah. See, I'm le- I'm less like from a visiting team standpoint. I almost want to switch these around because okay, here's the deal. Like at Kansas State and Missouri, you're getting all sorts of crap. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter the opponent at that point. Right. I've, I've heard of fans going to Missouri games and getting spit on and stuff. And then with Kansas State, you're just not going to feel great about it. Um, yeah. The Iowa State one, I think 
would probably not be great, but you would just get all they do is boo. So like, <laughs> whatever you could deal with that. But if you switch these up, where now it's Missouri at Duke, Iowa State at Kentucky, Kansas State at Villanova, where you still have your visiting fans there, but yeah. you also have home teams. I think it would be the one at Villanova, mm. even though K State's on the you road. You really don't like Northeast people, do you? What do you mean Villanova? That's Philadelphia. But no, because yesterday you were all on about how people from Massachusetts, Connecticut suck. And no, now- I was, I was, I'm saying that would be the, the best one to go to. Sorry. Oh, best one. Okay, I, best worst? one. Yeah, okay, I think okay, it'd be okay, the best okay. one to go to. Uh, just because I think Kentucky and Duke, there's more vitriol of being another blue blood, whereas with Villanova, maybe that's not there. Now, then again, Philadelphia sports fans. That's what I'm saying. See, to your point, you, you don't like Northeast people. You got a problem. Yeah, no, I, um, I again, I, I think... Any, it doesn't even matter the opponent. Any K-State game or any Missouri game, is I think, would be bad as it is. But again, see, the Iowa State one, you're going to hear about it the whole game. Yeah, that's There's true. Because they, they don't get tired of booing. Right. It's actually pretty impressive. I mean, they must have some strong vocal cords to just boo nonstop. For yeah, like I think it's Kentucky-Iowa State, though. I think that's that's the best one to go to. The best one? Which yeah. one? Are you, so which one are you most miserable at? Villanova-K-State? Or Duke, Missouri. The thing is with the Duke, Missouri one is that the the Duke fans, I think, are going to, I don't know. Duke fans, in theory, might give you more crap than Villanova fans. But then again, more than I think about it, a lot of Duke fans are just like doctors. Would and, Duke fans travel to Columbia? No. I don't know. They but would. a lot of Duke fans are like, they're doctors or they're well-educated, like, higher up. Like, are they really going to, you know? Whereas with I don't know. Maybe. Villanova fans, if you have the Philadelphia in you, you're going to. I don't know. See, here you go again with the Northeast. You don't like Northeast people. I never said I don't like Northeast people. It, the writing is on the wall. You don't have the to say it out on loud. The wall. Philadelphia fans are notorious for being tough to be a different fan base with. You, you, you're not. They you're saying it in so many words. At San, did you see the video of the 49ers fans <laughs> just getting pelted with hundreds of snowballs? Did you see this video that I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't. Listen, you're saying it. You don't like you don't like Northeast people. No, it's fine. No. Every, all of our listeners in Massachusetts no, and I like Philadelphia people, and they're, Connecticut, they've all just turned off the radio. No. See, this is you taking this I'm, I'm getting word from our, from I like our higher ups people. that, the, that there our There are some people that take it too far and our commonalities, yes, there are some of them that are in the Northeast and take it too Guess what? There's there's Kansas fans who take it too far, too. You know, it, that's how it goes. But whatever. Um, yeah, Villanova, K-State would be the most miserable. Yeah. I also, agree. what? Like, at least I can convince myself with the Duke-Kentucky ones. Like, oh, I'm seeing another blue blood. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this wow, so now you're one. not even calling Villanova a blue blood. Man, you're they're just not. really twisting the knife on those on those people. You think they're a blue blood? No. Okay. But you said it first. This one from Dalen. Do you think it is unreasonable to believe KU will get a New Year's Six Bowl next year? Or even in the college football playoff with the new 12-team for uh, just no. Let me just add this. There no. is, yeah, New Year's Six will okay. be... Yeah, that's okay. what I thought. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with the returning stars and our new recruits, this could be an even better year next year with Jalen staying healthy, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with Dalen here. Uh, I I think it's very possible. You look at the you look at the landscape of the Big 12 next season, and Kansas should be in position to be one of the top three or four teams in the conference. You figure Utah is going to be there, but then after that, there are some question marks at other teams around the league, right? I mean, you look at the I mean Oklahoma State again. You think they're going to be there, but dude, Gunnar Gundy is transferring. I mean, how messed up is that? Mike Gundy's kicking out his own kid. I don't know. Does that make you, does that mean he's maybe taking things more seriously? 
I don't know. We'll see. But you look at the situation with Kansas State right now, losing Colin Klein. They're probably I, I don't I don't I don't know. They're a question mark for sure. Kansas should be right there with Jalen Daniels back. Now, obviously, the major caveat here, and Dalen even wrote it out himself, is that Jalen Daniels is healthy for the season. That's, it's a big if. That, that's the major caveat uh, there because you'll have Cole Ballard, I guess, would be your number one backup next season. Remember right? Isaiah Marshall? Battle yeah. it out, right? Yeah. So the big caveat being that Jalen Daniels stays healthy. But, but yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see any reason why Kansas can't be in that conversation. Uh, a little bit, you know. I mean, they were listen. They 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 were ranked. They were in the top twenty in the CFP a couple different weeks. This well, they peak at sixteen. Yeah, I think sixteen was the highest they got. So uh, I think definitely it's very very possible as a ceiling for the for the team next year. Uh, it'll certainly depend on other guys, right? Like if Devin Neal comes back, that increases like mm-hmm. that increases a lot. If Austin Booker comes back, if Kobe Bryant comes back, then then you're thinking, yeah, hell yeah. Now we're now we're cooking. Yeah, but at there's minimum. <laughs> At minimum, you have to get to nine and three to be in discussion. Realistically, you need to get to ten and two. Like this year, you would have had to be ten and two. There think, are some other years yeah, I mean, where nine and three might I get there. I think you have to be. You have to be playing in the Big Twelve title game. I think. Being, you would think so. Being, to be yeah, in discussion for sure. At but least. I, I mean, there's a scenario like this year where Oklahoma would have been right on the cut line, and they were ten and two without playing the Big Twelve title. So I mean, it, it could depend because yeah. there's with the imbalanced schedules, like it could lead to some weird tiebreak or something. Yeah. But yeah, realistically, you got to be playing for that. Um, yeah, again, there, there will be no New Year's Six because what they're going to do is all the, the New, New Year's Year Six, six are, playoffs, are part right? of the playoff. Yeah. yeah, so they're going to have the first round of the game. So five plays 12, six plays 11, seven plays 10, eight plays nine. Those will be at the, the better seed uh, for home games on campus. And then once they get down to the round of eight, that'll be four of your New Year's Six Bowl games. Then the semifinals would be two so, and then your national title. Game. Hypothetically, Kansas wins the Big 12 mm-hmm. and they have a high enough seed that they can that they would host a the playoff game, basically, yeah. in the first round. Where do they play it at? Oh, for next year? Gosh, I didn't even think about that. Because, yeah, there's a lot of rumors uh, swirling right now that they're going to play games in Arrowhead Stadium yeah. for next year. They're going to play a, a bunch of their helps, games there. <clears throat> if that helps speed up the construction, I'm actually kind of okay with it. Yeah, but see, I don't I don't know. Like, would it, by the but I know by the time you host a playoff game middle of December, would there be enough construction done? Maybe, you, I, don't I don't know. know. But, th- but I mean, Arrowhead? you still don't want to host a playoff game in a half-done stadium. No, you don't. So maybe it would have to be at Arrowhead. But honestly, but that's tough because I, I understand the game, I understand the really economic implications of keeping of playing in Lawrence, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's been there's a lot of reports about how much how much revenue drives the city of Lawrence when there are football games in Lawrence. So I I get it, but I don't know. Yeah, no, but, that's, that's but, an you know, we're, we're putting the cart before the horse. We got okay, wait uh, here. Let me add another, I, I guess, hypothetical question. Would you rather Kansas get to host a first-round playoff game, so they're seated somewhere between five through eight, okay, or would you rather them have the first-round bye be the four seed? First-round bye easily. It's not even a question. It's not even a question. No, I, I think it is a question. It's one less game for you to lose. No, because here's the thing. No, 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 no. There's no way you can spin that. No, no, no. No, no there absolutely is. No, there's not. If they're the four seed in this scenario, right? Okay. So how they're going to do it, the top four buys – it's not necessarily the top four. It's the top four conference winners. Okay? Wouldn't it just, be, wait, wouldn't it just be one, two, three, and four in the CFP? No, they have to be conference winners. What? That's part of the rule. I mean, I guess if you you would probably be in the top four if you're a conference winner, so I, I guess. Yeah, but let's say, Kansas, like let's say Kansas hypothetically ranked seventh, and they get the fourth bye. And the, the, the other ones in front of them are like extra SEC teams who didn't win the conference or something. Okay. So they technically get the four. But realistically, you know they're not going to win the title. Well, <laughs> okay. In that scenario, you want the home game. No. 
Because then you can actually get a college football playoff win, and you get the home environment no. of having that experience. No. If you, yes. No. no. I, I no. actually you're, think that's this better. Is, this, that's that is because you're. No. Here's the thing no, no, for you. No, 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 you're no, no, operating no, 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 under the standpoint. You're operating under the guys. You want to go try to win? No, but see, you're operating under the guys you think they're going to win the national title. If they're in the playoff, they have a chance. Yes, but realistically, like, come on, oh, we've come had some years. On, so, so dude. Florida State would have been the four seed. You thought Florida State could win the title? They're they're in that it at least, been, but would they've won it? Probably not this okay. season. Uh, no, but that's a bad example because no, they, no, they have a fifth string quarterback. No, it's not. Anyway, I would um, be a better quarterback than Brock Glenn. Uh, so, do I think it's unreasonable? No, I I think it is very reasonable that they could make it next year. I, I don't know that it'll be the projection, but yeah, you're talking about. Uh, eight and four on this season. I mean, you were very close to winning ten or eleven games this season to begin with, and that would have put you uh, into that situation. It's going to take Jalen Daniels being healthy, though. Uh, yeah. Maybe it doesn't have to be healthy for all twelve games, but probably ten or eleven of them for it to be the case. Without Oklahoma and Texas on the schedule, um, you certainly have some tough ones. But you know, you don't play Utah on the schedule, True. right? So that's yeah. certainly helpful there. Obviously, it hurts that you have one of the years where five of your games, as opposed to to four at home, five are on the road, and because you could be playing a lot in Arrowhead, like, I, I don't know how that impacts things. Like, I, I'd love I mean, to I go. Think, I mean, I think you would, you would agree that the booth definitely was a major impact. Yeah, on and I, I don't know how that impacts things from positive or negative. I, I would love to know a study on teams, how they do when they have to go to off-campus Probably, well, I mean, it hasn't happened very often. It does. Now. I mean, there's there's some schools that that do that, like Pittsburgh. They play at Heinz Field or whatever it's called now. It's not Heinz Field anymore, but where yeah. the Steelers play, like, yeah. and they've had some good seasons, you know. Sure. But I, I, I don't know minute, how far away guess, they are. No, 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 But there, there are schools that have done it, and there are schools that that do it. Like that's what they always do. So yeah. I, I don't know. Well, like, uh, I know how that like, impacts it. UTSA plays at the Alamo Dome. Yeah, I don't know how that. Is. But that, but like that's still in San Antonio. Right. It's not like a forty-five minute drive. So I, I don't know. It's not Pittsburgh. It's not unreasonable. Point being, um, I'll be interested to see what the over/under for wins is for KU next year. Mm, yeah. Sure. You think it'll be like eight? I think. I mean, be, it part, part of it be. depends what's going to happen with Kobe and Melo and Devin Neal. It's got to be at least seven, I would think. At least seven, seven and a half, maybe. Yeah. Maybe eight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one from Booth Dweller. In honor of the guaranteed rate bowl, what's your favorite type of mortgage? Listen, Booth Dweller, I love the question, but <laughs> Booth Dweller, I am a 25-year-old single male. I am so far away from having to deal with any kind of mortgage. I don't even know what mortgage mm-hmm. is. There's I don't fixed even know rates. how mortgages work. I don't There's even know. a conventional like, I mortgage. To, I need to go and do like a mortgage seminar. Standard I don't even know. Standard adjustable rate? Like, I'm sorry. I wish I, wish I had some, some knowledge here, but I just... Mortgages are just so far outside of anything mm. that I've ever considered in my life at this point. Uh, I'm pretty sure my house is. Fi- I don't know. I probably shouldn't answer this without actually having like a. Clear like I know, like I know, like you know, you have like the 30 year fixed rate, whatever, 15, whatever. I don't know, but dude, I it, it, listen. There's, I'm just so far away from that. I don't even know, man. I don't even know. <laughs> Sorry. I wish I could. I wish we could have more mortgage talk on the show, but I just, I just don't have anything. Should the winner of this this bowl game? Like the head coach gets their mortgage paid for, their house. Well, I mean, I would assume with Lance Leipold, you know, he makes quite a bit of money. I would think he wouldn't he it. just have bought his house. I don't know. Right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Again, circling back, I don't have any. I don't know. I don't have any knowledge of this stuff. Man, I really wish it was the Cheez It Bowl. <laughs> I'd be having so much more fun. That's okay. No, it's not Next okay. Next year will be in the KU will be in the fun whatever fun bowl. A bowl <laughs> better than this one. This one from Jerry. 
Would you rather Kansas beat UNLV by 40 points or beat them in a wild overtime game? Mm. That's a good question because beating them by 40 points would be really would be objectively awesome. But I think at some point in like the late third, early fourth quarter, you would start imagining like, man, imagine if KU would have gotten like a better bowl or like a better opponent. Like they they clearly are way outclassing UNLV. Like they could have. So I, I don't I don't know. That's kind of tough. The wild overtime game would be very stressful, obviously. And if you if you guarantee me ahead of kickoff, KU is going to win, then I would definitely do the overtime. I think in this scenario, though, like if you came back like the ghost of Christmas from the future, came yeah. back and was like, hey. KU will win this game. No, then but I, just I, I lean back and I'm uh-uh. like, great, awesome. I think in this scenario, you you get told what you pick, you pick it, and then the little men in black pen comes and erases. <laughs> so you don't know what's. So you have to go through all the stress. Okay, well then I would. Okay, I would pick the overtime game, and then I'd like write a note for myself and be like, hey. No, you can't do that. <laughs> you have to deal with the stress as would, if you don't know. I would after blink you pick. four times. So that I could send a message more no, to myself. You have to you have to take if you're if you're gonna take it, your mind is erased after you take it. And then you cannot send yourself any messages, write anything down. Are you taking the stress? Are you dealing with the stress? No, I take the 40 points. Okay. Um I mean there is something fun about if you win in overtime, it makes it a more memorable game, you know. It, it makes it like you feel like, oh, remember that one, right? Sure. But there I mean, also I is something fun about blowing a pony out. It I will. It, I think it'll be memorable regardless because it's your first it would be your first bowl win since Sure. Long. And everybody remembers the uh, inside bowl because you blew out Minnesota. I I think it's definitely win by 40 points. If you win in overtime versus UNLV, I I don't know if there's any amount that you can win this game by and finish the season ranked in the AP poll. I think you're like around 31st, something like that, uh, in where you're voted in in the AP top 25. But if you win by 40, that sends a statement and gives you a shot at finishing the season ranked. And I think that would be such a big deal for the program if you could finish the year ranked. So I would definitely take the 40 points. Yeah, this one too. from uh, Nubbins. If the one final ride bump has done this for Kevin, Jalen, and Ochai in three straight years, what would it do for Hunter Dickinson to come back next year? Oh, great question. Because he's already getting, you know, 21 and yeah, so 12. Yeah, does he get the extra year bump? So he would get like 28 30 and, and 20? <laughs> 28 and 15, 28 and 16. Yeah, I, I hadn't even considered that, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I mean... That would be insane. I wonder, does this apply? Would this apply to like Dewan Harris also? Mm. Or, or I does feel it, like Dewan it, it would apply more by the fact that you have to be somebody who's like trying to get into the NBA. Mm, that's a good question. Like what? Like what part of it? Isn't gives every player you trying to get in the NBA though? The one final ride. You see what I'm saying though? Right. Like it's is that, it that you have to declare and then come back? Like what? Yeah. What is, what's the prerequisite for having that bump? I think it's you have to declare be deep in the draft process enough to a point where it's like 50-50 whether you're coming back or not because that was the case for all those guys. Yeah. Which like is Hunter even going to do that? I don't know. I think he's already has he done the pro I feel like he would have already done the process but now. I don't remember I don't if, if he you has can or not. do it multiple times. The problem is it's like you know, he's just, I think you can do it unlimited. The, the modern NBA, he's not necessarily the type of fit NBA teams are looking for. Now if he shoots continues to shoot great from 3, maybe he becomes that. But. So from that standpoint, it wouldn't be the case. I don't know. Maybe Dewan tests at the end of this year just because he hasn't done it before and just Good. trying to get on the um, radar of certain NBA scouts, maybe. I, I think it would apply more for Dewan than Hunter because with Hunter, okay. there's only so much you know, more that he could do, right? Like, even <laughs> if he comes back, it's probably going to be one of those situations where it's like, okay, it's just another year of this. 
He's already like a first-team All-American candidate. You can't really go much up from that. You know, like like Zach Eady might win National Player of the Year again, but like, is he that much really, different than he was last year? I would be really triggered if Zach Eady wins again. But is he that much different than last year? Exactly. You so know why win again? Well, because he was the best player in college basketball last year. So if he's the same, he's still the best. But there's player other in players basketball. that are as good too, like Hunter Dickinson. Maybe Zach Eady's really good. Um, so yeah, I think it would apply more to Dewan. So does that mean Dewan's going to come back next year and he's going to put up like gonna, 15 a game? That would be insane. That would be insane. That would be crazy. All right, this one from Ike. More likely to make a Final Four in the next five years. KU Volleyball, KU Women's Basketball, or KU Women's Soccer? Mm. So the new hire for KU Women's Soccer, Nate Lee, maybe in two or three years, he's to the point where he might be putting KU Soccer to that level, you know? We've had a lot of these same discussions, but when you look at the Big 12 and what they're the changes they're about to go through, and you look at women's soccer, like Texas was a top women's soccer program a lot. Oklahoma was not as good, but they, they were up there. But then you look at Utah has been pretty good. BYU was in the national was in the Final Four this season uh, in women's soccer. So the, the level of competition is going to be probably pretty much the same. And you look around the rest of the conference, like TCU is normally pretty good. Uh, Oklahoma State. I think you used to have a pretty good team. Yeah, at West one Virginia point. is West usually Virginia really is good. Really good. So, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, what, I, it's hard to say with the fact that you just hired a new coach for women's soccer to say that within the next five years they're going to be in a Final Four. With women's basketball, the start to this season I think has been a bit disheartening. To where it's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. With KU volleyball, the arrow is pointing up. They have a top five recruiting class coming in. They probably benefit the most from the conference realignment with with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at KU volleyball here. That was that was going to be my pick too. I mean, you just look at what they could have next year. Cameron Turner, Caroline Bien is both seniors on the roster. We'll see what they add if if but they add anyone in the portal. You think about KU volleyball class. making a Final Four? They're probably going to have to beat a yeah. You know they've done it before. A Nebraska, Wisconsin, a one of those top teams yeah. probably. They've done it before. They can do it again. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll uh, be very interesting to see which one of those. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think KU soccer could be a sneaky answer. I, I don't know. It, yeah. It's like such I said, a good recruiting pipeline. Project, it's hard to project out a new, a brand-new really head coach, is. you know, in Track three or record. four or five years. But, really uh, yeah, obviously, what he did at Xavier, really phenomenal stuff. And then, uh, and then again, I, with KU women's basketball, like, I think the, the talent is there. It's just I mean, who knows? Of, Maybe in, in three years, Samaya Nichols is the best player in college basketball. You could know? be. Like, that could absolutely happen. Yeah. Like, she looks really good as a freshman. So, yeah, a lot of different areas that one can go with. But, yeah, my final answer would be volleyball. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to get to some uh, Bill Self audio coming up on the other side with KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with KLWN. We got KU Women's Basketball coming at you tonight, 6.30, pregame 6.15 here on KLWN. We uh, are going to get to some player postgame audio from Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams coming up in our next segment. Some news from around the sphere of college athletics. Dylan Harper, who's one of the top commits, five-star in the class of 2024, has committed to Rutgers. I thought he was already committed to Rutgers. I yeah, it was like a, and then recommitted. Yeah, like a or, Nick Marsh situation. Yeah, I'm not really 100 percent sure. He's uh, also the younger brother of. Uh, they had another Harper who played at Rutgers for like two or three years. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why he ended up going to Rutgers too, right? Isn't he from like right there in New Jersey? Yeah, so I don't know why he decommitted and then recommitted. Anyway, whatever, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Kansas was listed in one of the finalists, but I, I don't think that was ever really something that was going to happen. Yeah. So that's why we didn't really talk about it. Yeah. 
All right, let's get to our KU basketball takeaways. Kansas wins 88-69 to over the Kansas City Ruse. What is the biggest positive from the game? I think the biggest positive was probably Johnny Furphy in the last few minutes of the game. Uh, you know, what was really interesting to me was it was either KJ Adams or Kevin McCullough mentioned this about how in their post game where Johnny Furphy, you know, was maybe a bit down on himself because he didn't have a wasn't didn't do great in the first half, uh, and for him to come back and play like that at the end of the game, then be the lone bright spot on the bench, uh, was was really really impressive. And I think if he continues to play at that level, that just fulfills one checkbox basically you need at that in that from that bench group where you feel pretty good. So. Uh, really impressed by his play down the stretch and late in the game. And uh, I thought Henry brought up a great point early in the show from uh, the Lawrence Journal World about how Bill Self has made the comment about it's not how, it's not who starts the game, it's who finishes. And Johnny Furphy was was out there at the end of the game, and Omarco was not. So uh, I feel really, really good about where Johnny Furphy's at right now, and it was really nice to see him kind of continue to build on that. So he, I think he's my biggest positive of the game. Okay, we haven't had this conversation in, in a little bit because it just feels like it has been what it is. And still the minute totals are, are still favoring Omarco, though what you astutely pointed out with him finishing the game. Should we reopen the conversation? Should Johnny About, Furphy, uh, Furphy, Furphy be the fifth starter? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if it's like a defensive scheme thing or like maybe they like the, the quickness of Omarco or the explosiveness or something uh, to where they feel like it's better with Furphy off the bench. But, yeah, I think the case could definitely be made for Furphy to possibly be a starter but, you know, the, to this, this conversation that we've had, if they're both playing 20 to 25 minutes, does it really matter? No, but should the minutes be more equalized? Yeah, I guess they, it might be a better yeah, question. they could be. Perfect played 14. Marco played, uh, what, 23 mm -hmm. uh, in this last game against Kansas City. So, yeah, I could see the case for that. Uh, I think Furphy definitely brings uh, uh, quite a bit to this, to this team uh, off the bench and has been a real bright spot for them so far. Uh, this season and has really continued to step up and play well. So, yeah, I think there's a case to be made for it. I, I would think that there must be some kind of logic. You know, maybe it's something to do with the fact that El Marco, even though he has been pretty solid, has been objectively underwhelming considering what the buzz was around him coming in. And maybe it's a, a mental thing where it's like, okay, we want to keep in the starting lineup to make him so that he can still feel some confidence and feel free to play his way. And, and play a little bit more open, you know. Bill Self made the comment a couple weeks ago about uh, El Marco thinking too much and, and having a bit of paralysis. So maybe keeping him in the starting lineup keeps him feeling confident in himself and feeling loose and feeling like he can play the way he wants to play. So, yeah, there, there could be more to it than that. There could be more to it beyond that. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think for now, I, honestly, I'm okay either way. I don't, I'm not really going to be too up in arms regardless uh, if – El Marco starting, or if he gets a start or whatever, I'm I'm pretty com comfortable either way. I'm gonna go with hmm. for your biggest positive. Yeah, I I just want to collectively KJ Adams and Kevin McCuller. Like, I mean, combined they had 43 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists, six steals, and a block. Yeah, I'd like to point out that ever since I kind of uh, went, had that we had that conversation about KJ Adams needing needing to pick up rebounding, he's been picking it mm -hmm. up. Quite a bit. And this is another game where he did that with seven rebounds. And he also picked up the – I mean, six assists. He was passing the ball everywhere. He was yep. bringing the ball up on the break. He was yep. being aggressive. He also had four steals. All of those numbers, 18 points, seven rebounds, six assists, four steals. All of those are season highs. He did them all in the same game. Yeah. yeah That's very pretty incredible. Yeah. Six and nine from the floor, six of ten at the free throw line. 
Yeah, and eight. Listen, six of ten at the line. That's pretty good for him too, considering you'll take that. Uh, what his percentage was. Yeah, you'll uh, take sixty percent from KJ Adams for sure. But like Kevin McCuller, to have him continue to shoot the ball well for the second straight game, two of two from three. He's now five of six the last two games. He's eleven for eleven at the free throw line the last two games. Twenty five points, new career high for him. Added six rebounds, five assists, couple of steals in a block. Nine of thirteen from the floor. I mean, the stats that he's putting up. Is there any concern from you that he might not be able to maintain this once we hit conference play? There Absolutely, could be a drop off. I th- I think it's just natural that most players there is a drop off once we hit conference play because but the league is so hard of a drop off. Like that's that's basically my point is, what if 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 it's significant? Are what what are you concerned about that? I just expect all numbers to drop off in conference play for for like the high level guys, just in terms of the the conference being difficult and there being so many good defenses. So like it's it's not as much of a worry for me as it is just like an expectation. But like when you say drop off, like I'm I'm thinking he's averaging 19 points, yeah, seven so rebounds, if it drops off to like assists, right? 16 or 17, that's fine. Yeah. Well, what exactly. if the drop off is more significant? Then at that point, it's a problem. Or if the drop-off is him shooting 28% from three in conference play, that's a problem. Yeah. I don't know that I'm there or that I would expect that. I just It'll be interesting to see because once you get into conference play, too, like part of it is you're playing these teams more often. You might be playing a team twice or there's just more tape on you, and there becomes more devised scouting reports specifically to go against you. So it'll be interesting to see when that happens, how that will affect Kevin McCuller. But, yeah, man, I mean, we've seen this story now the past couple of years with Jalen Wilson and Ochag Baji, and while yeah. there were dips for both of those guys for maybe a couple-week stretch during conference play where you are trying to kind of get over that hump and, and hit a bit of a rut and you have good teams scheming up against you, eventually those guys got back to where they were, and I would expect that to be the case if that does end up happening for uh, Kevin McCuller too. Yeah. What is your uh, biggest negative? Hmm, biggest negative. Well, you look to some of the things that KU has or have been some of the negatives about KU so far this season. Three-point shooting, they were 8 of 20, 40%. Free throw shooting, they were 14 of 19, 74%. Rebounding, they out-rebounded Kansas City by one, 37-36. So they did a lot of the things that they've maybe that have maybe been more issues for them previously. They did pretty well in the game. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, I hate to call out one guy, but I mean, it, it, would it be wrong to say that Nick Timberlake is the biggest negative right now? Or I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just not it's just not working. You know, I I know I said Perfy's the biggest positive, but maybe the rest of the bench is the biggest negative. I, I don't know. No, you can make that because like Jamar McDowell, Nick Timberlake, maybe just I mean I don't know. Could you say the biggest negative was just kind of the the peaks and valleys of the game for KU, how they weren't, they mm-hmm. didn't seem to be able to sort of you couldn't maintain get the kill shot. You couldn't put them away. Yeah, maybe that's uh, a better negative. lack of focus. Maybe that would be like a biggest negative. Yeah. Uh, to your point, though, on T- Timberlake and McDowell combined twenty-two minutes, three points, one of six from the floor. And I honestly, do, they they, all, they only took threes. I didn't remember them being out on the floor for twenty-two minutes. Yeah, and Timberlake went one of five. Good. I don't remember if Timberlake taking five threes. Right, honestly. I don't either. Which I I don't know that that's a good thing. Like, there's a certain level of noticeability that can be bad. Like, sometimes you're too noticeable. It's like, hey, chill. But sometimes the opposite can be bad, too. Um, <laughs> like, if you're not noticeable at all, that's bad? Yeah, like, then it's just the, uh, it's like Bobby Pettiford-itis. You know, how many games last year did we see Bobby was on the floor for 20 minutes and he had two points, one assist, one rebound? And it was just like, okay, he was out there. Yeah. But, like, what did he do? He didn't do much negative, but, like, it didn't. Add much what positive, exactly you know? is it that you do? Right. 
The Office. You haven't even seen that movie. Yes, I have. You have? I think. I don't know. Maybe. Fact, I think. I've seen it at one point, I'm sure. Okay. Um. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't go with Timberlake. I, or I would just say kind of the peaks and valleys of the game, not able to maintain necessarily that same energy. Maybe that's the biggest negative. Yeah, I think that would be good. Uh, just letting it become a game. Uh, letting it get to eight points at, at kind of the under four. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what is the biggest neutral? Biggest neutral. I'm tempted to go with uh, I'm tempted to go with Dewan Harris here. Okay. Three of six from the floor. Did hit two threes though. Eight points, seven assists, one rebound. Like, you know, a pretty, a pretty average game by his standards. I would say. You know, where he w- he was a little bit more aggressive. And it worked out a little bit, but I don't know. Is that, big, is that a good neutral? That's a good neutral. I was thinking about Parker Brown, but I actually thought he played well. I mean, five points, three rebounds, ten minutes. If he was playing 30 minutes, that's on pace for 15 and nine. So that's good. That's pretty good. It's probably more than neutral. Is Hunter Diggins the biggest neutral? No, because I think he was overall still good. Well, I guess you could. I, I think he was overall still good, but yeah, only playing 29 minutes, foul trouble, the technical foul. They were playing very physically. You could tell it was. Are you, uh, he okay. was getting annoyed. Is there any concern about uh, maybe other teams seeing that film of the Kansas City game and saying, "Hey, if we just absolutely body Hunter Dickinson and get very physical with him, maybe we can frustrate him and throw him off his game that way because he maybe he's shown that he maybe has issues with that." Or do you think other teams are looking at that and saying, "Okay, maybe we can exploit him here. Maybe we can. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we body him early, you know, if, and if we get in his face early, we can disrupt him and and get him off get him off off of his game a little bit by using that." No, I'm not overly concerned about that because he still had 14 and 12 on six of 12 shooting, and like it got a bunch of openings for other players. I mean, KU as an offense shot 54 percent, 40 percent from three, yeah. and like if they, they every got, team they got to 23 point attempts, by the way. That's right. If every team comes into town and basically just tries to bully Hunter Dickinson, eventually, like, the refs are going to catch on and be like, hey, like, we're not going to let you get away with that. <laughs> there are going to be sometimes where the whistle that night, like, they're going to kind of nickel and dime the opposing center for, you know, and Bill Self did actually specifically mention with the audio player on the show about how, to your point, they were so focused on trying to body Hunter Dickinson and have a guy on him that it really did free up right. KJ Adams to make plays. It freed up other guys around the floor. Biggest neutral for me was the rebounding. I mean, it was thirty-seven to thirty-six. So hang on, yesterday you said you were going to feel good about it if they were. If they, I were. feel good about it, but for the game it was a neutral. Okay, fine. Right, thirty-seven, thirty-six. Um, I'd love to see the percentages. So Kansas had seven offensive rebounds and. Uh, Kansas City had ten, so Kansas City had a much higher percentage yeah. of offensive rebounds. Yeah, so they had they twenty five percent on O rebound. You had twenty one percent defensive rebound. They were seventy nine percent. You were seventy five percent. So they still did slightly beat you, but knowing that they were the better rebounding team coming in, I, I guess I value that as the neutral. So it was like it was fine. I guess I still have worry. I, I I want them to be a better rebounding team. I think they have the personnel for it. Just hasn't totally happened yet. But this game, it was fine. It wasn't like a problem. It wasn't a strength either. Yeah. So neutral. What is the uh, KU play of the game? KU play of the game. Uh, I was trying to think back. Was there any? Was there any significant play that kickstarted Kansas? Like when it was when it got down to eight. Did any? I I hadn't gone back and looked at like the play by play, but I didn't specifically recall like a specific play that sort of kickstarted them. Uh, I know Furphy hit some threes late in the game, which those maybe might be your plays of the game. KJ Adams had some dunks. 
So after uh, Corsalt hit the three to make it 75 to 67, KU took a timeout. There's 350 left. And then Hunter Dickinson got fouled, made two free throws. They missed a layup. Dickinson got the rebound. KJ Adams, I, that might be the play of the game. Your next possession down was the shot that KJ like missed on like kind of a hook shot, and he somehow got his own offensive rebound and makes the layup with the foul. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that's a good one. And then you also was, have the Furphy steal, and then he got the layup. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna pick a the Furphy KJ play. steal, Furphy layup. Yeah, I was gonna pick a Furphy play. I think at the end maybe uh, to kind of ex- highlight him, but uh, maybe the, that KJ Adams play and one pretty big play. That was and, and the insanity of the double jump. I mean, we always heard about like Andrew Wiggins who had an incredible double jump. Like yeah, the like second, second jump, jump yeah. I guess, is the is the way that I want to put that. That second jump by KJ Adams was incredible. I mean, he was the one who took the shot on like a hook shot. He got his own miss all in basically one jump motion on the hit and got fouled. He, he didn't make the free throw, but that was such a huge play and it put him up because from there it's 77 67. That make allows it to where you now have cushion for it being a double digit lead. Yeah. And that kind of puts it away. So, yeah, that would be the one that I would go with. You're going with one of the Furphy ones? Yeah, he uh, hit a three, I think, after that. He hit a three I'll to make go. it 88-69. Yeah, I'll go with that. That was their uh, last score for either team of the game. Yep. I mean, I think Furphy deserves some a spotlight for how for how It's really played. that whole succession for yeah. Furphy was, was yeah. really good. Yeah, plays of the game, I guess, for Furphy. Yeah, honestly. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's get to some audio from K.J. Adams and Kevin McCuller. Coming up on the other side. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so. As you can find the show anywhere, you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.